You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Today's scripture is about Gideon, and it can be found in the book of Judges, chapter 6. Then the Lord's messenger came and sat under the oak at Oprah that belonged to Joash the Aborizonite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The Lord's messenger appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Gideon replied to him, With all due respect, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are his amazing works that our ancestors recounted to us, saying, Didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and allowed the Midian to overpower us. Then the Lord turned to him and said, You have strength, so go and rescue Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not personally sending you? But again Gideon said to him, With all due respect, my Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my household. The Lord replied, Because I'm with you, you'll defeat the Midianites as if they were just one person. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. So at the opening of our story, we find Gideon crouching in the bottom of a wine press, threshing grain. Now what you need to know is that typically threshing grain did not happen in a wine press. It happened at the top of a hill, typically a highly elevated spot, very airy, no walls, where the wind could help in the process. It was usually done communally, so it would be like the neighborhood spot where everybody would come and thresh their grain together and talk while they did it. For that matter, a wine press usually was a communal spot where everybody would come together and um, get their wine ready, but Gideon was alone, basically underground, surrounded by these very tall walls. And I imagine as he's threshing the grain every few minutes or so, he's popping his head up to look because he was afraid of the Midianites. And he's looking around, okay, nope, no invaders yet. And when the angel finds Gideon in the middle of his work, the angel greets him by saying, greetings, mighty warrior, the man hiding in the wine press. God's got to have a sense of humor. To be fair, though, the Israelites were all in hiding. Gideon was not the only one, and their neighbors, the Midianites, they'd started attacking them, raiding them. Midianites practiced what we might call like total war or scorched earth philosophy war, which means when they came in, they weren't just taking a few valuables and going, they were destroying the crops. They were getting rid of the livestock. They were... uh, of course, taking anything in storage, and they were getting rid of anything that the Israelites might have had to sustain themselves, like the wheat that Gideon was attempting to thresh. So Gideon had some reason to be afraid. Meanwhile, 
the Midianites had some, uh, a major tactical advantage, which was they had camels, which may not sound like much to us, but in those days, that was a big deal strategically. And all the tribes in Israel are in hiding for the, from the Midianites, Gideon being no exception. Uh, but I have to point out here, on a practical level, if Gideon is hiding in this wine press, popping his head out from his very low elevation standpoint, by the time he saw a Midianite raid coming, it would be a little bit too late to make an escape. So he's afraid. I don't know that his fear is gaining him anything. It's in this kind of environment that God calls Gideon, and understandably, he has some questions. The angel appears, and Gideon says, okay, God, but if you're really with us, why are the Midianites attacking? Didn't you bring us out of Egypt? What are you going to do in this place now? Why aren't you doing anything, God? And God says, well, that's why I'm calling you. That's why I'm calling you. You've got the strength. Go do something. And Gideon says, okay, God, but how can I possibly do anything? You know what? I am the youngest born in my family. I'm from the weakest clan in my tribe. I'm not the guy you're looking for. Well, there's a couple things to know here at this point in the story. Birth order was a big deal in those days. So the oldest son, that was the one with the power and the prestige, the one who was going to inherit everything from the family. The second-born son, slightly less power and prestige, and on and on and on down. And by the time you get to the youngest, like Gideon, he's not wrong to point out that he is not the guy with the most power or the most strength or the most uh, well-known reputation simply because he's the youngest. And the other thing to know is family and tribe and clan, all those associations and uh, ancestry, that all mattered deeply as well. So the youngest son from what he describes as the weakest clan maybe was not the most likely hero in this situation. You've heard of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, Gideon was from one that doesn't represent a son of Jacob like Gad or Issachar. He's from Manasseh, which is one of Joseph's sons. Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and then Gideon is descended from that tribe and that lineage. And so Gideon makes this declaration, I'm the youngest son from the weakest clan. And the angel says, you know, it doesn't really matter what you think you know about yourself because God's calling you and God is equipping you and God needs you. To which Gideon replies, that's great, God. But, if it's really you, can you give me a sign? Can you, can you let me know for sure? Which I think is a little bit bold, considering he's already face-to-face -face with an angelic messenger. Like, how much more proof do you need, Gideon? But he says, here, you know what? I know what we can do. I'll be right back. Just stay here. Don't move. And Gideon runs home and gets an offering of meat and of bread, and he puts it on a rock. And the angel reaches out and touches the rock with a staff. And fire bursts forth from the rock and consumes the offering of bread and meat. And so Gideon is at this point terrified. Because it turns out in scripture, sometimes when you come face to face with God and you're not super respectful about it, bad things can happen to you. And Gideon is worried that one of those things is going to happen to him. And the angel says, don't worry. Don't be afraid. God's calling you. It's time to go. 
And this is when things get a little bit more challenging even for Gideon because God says, all right, well, the next step is to take down your father's altars. His father had altars and statues put up to gods like Baal, a giant pole in his front yard to Asherah, and God says, you need to take that stuff down, and it's time to worship the one true God. Gideon is supposed to build a new offering, or a new um, altar to God, and offer a fresh sacrifice, and God is asking him to kind of take a stand, do something based on what he believes, and Gideon says, okay, God, but I'm going to do it at night so nobody can see me. Maybe no one will even know that it's me who did it. So under the cover of night, Gideon goes, down, goes out and he pulls down this giant pole that it's in his father's front yard and he takes down all the rest of the altars and the next morning, the neighbors wake up and they notice right away and they talk amongst themselves and it becomes clear very quickly that this was Gideon. And they demand that Gideon's father, Joash, have Gideon put to death for his transgressions. It's a big deal to take down your father's altar to mess with your father's stuff. And uh, Joash says, well, you know what? These altars were built to Baal, so let's let Baal fight that fight. I'm not going to bother with it, which I thought was a very good fatherly response. And suddenly Gideon has a new nickname, Jerubabal, which means let Baal fight with him. And Gideon eventually starts gathering people together to take on the Midianites because that's what God had called him to do, to defend the people, to defend Israel. And this is a good thing that Gideon is finally taking action because meanwhile the Midianites have started gathering with other people on the eastern side of Israel, like the Amalekites. And they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan River and come invade Israel. So Gideon gathers a crowd, he rallies a bunch of people, and uh, he's ready to lead them all into battle. But then he decides he has some more questions. He says, you know, God, I've told you, or I know you've told me what it is that I need to do, but I just really want to make sure that this is you, that this is it, that I'm hearing right. Can, can we just solidify this a little bit? If you really intend for me to save Israel, if I'm really doing the right thing here, I need a sign. I need to know. So Gideon says, I have this fleece. I'm going to place this on the threshing floor. The threshing floor, by the way, is where he maybe should have been in the first place when the angel encountered him up on this hill doing, uh, doing the work of threshing. And he says, I'm going to place this fleece here. And if I wake up tomorrow morning and the fleece has dew on it, but the floor does not have dew on it, then I'll know that you're actually calling me into battle. That's going to be the sign. And so Gideon wakes up the next morning, and there is so much dew on this fleece that he can wring it out into a bowl and fill the entire thing up. There is a lot of dew on this fleece. And the floor, just as he requested, the floor is dry. And Gideon says, that's great, God. But can we do this just one more time to really prove it to me? And Gideon says, but this time, you know, let's have the fleece be dry and let's have the floor be covered in dew. And I'm thinking at this point in the story, Gideon thinks there is no way this is going to happen. He's going to get out of it. He's going to get to go home. But he wakes up the next morning and in fact, the fleece is dry and the floor is covered with dew. And Gideon says, okay, God, I guess we're doing this thing. Gideon gets his answer. And Gideon had managed to assemble more than 30,000 soldiers. That's more 
people than in the, in the smallest tribe of Israel. And by the way, Israel did not have a standing army. You had to go and recruit all of these people. And God says, you know, actually you have too many people here. If you were to take on the Midianites with an army of 30,000 or more people and you won, your army's going to say, look at us, we're so strong, we did this thing. And God says, I want people to say, hey, God did this thing. You have too many. Gideon says, all right, what do you want me to do about this? And God says, go to your army, say to them, anybody who's afraid of the Midianites, you can go home. This is ironic, I think, for Gideon to deliver this message as somebody who we encountered first hiding in a wine press from the Midianites, who himself is terrified. But Gideon goes and delivers this message, and 22,000 soldiers turn and go home because they're terrified of the Midianites. Only about 10,000 remain. And God says... You know, you did good work, but there are still too many soldiers here. I think you can do with fewer. I think you can do with less. And there's this whole complicated story where God leads them to the river and says to Gideon, okay, ask them them all to take a drink. Some of them who drink in one way, you're going to keep those guys. The ones who drink in another way, you're not going to keep those guys. This is the way you're going to divide it out. And with only 300 soldiers and Gideon's leadership and God's faithfulness, they were able to defend Israel from the Midianites. And in fact, they were able to defeat the Midianites. And somehow they managed to pull it off with God's help. And there's a lot more to this story, including a moment when the Israelites ask Gideon to be their king, which he declines. Uh, We don't know exactly how all of these details unfolded in the way that they did. We just know that God was there and God was with Gideon. And the man that we found hiding in the wine press at the beginning of this story somehow becomes a leader who is strong enough by God's grace to lead an army to defeat the people who had been terrorizing the Israelites. God can do some amazing transformative work. God did it with Gideon. Maybe God can do it with us. That's the end of our campfire stories. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.